because there was a lot of adults that were involved in this that at no point stopped and said, hey, we've gone too far. So it was a very powerless feeling. Uh, it was very traumatic. That was not okay. And it's taken a long time for people to speak up. So, yeah. I mean, it was a cult. It was essentially a cult. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. You might have had a little bit of audio uh, trouble hearing that clip that I just played. But um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show is if you're following the show, if you're listening or watching over the last few months, you will know that I have been covering uh, extensively the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, aka the Plymouth Brethren Crazy Cult. And we have been speaking with several ex-members who have allegations, uh, credible al allegations of abuse, um, credible allegations of coercive treatment, um, and and just harrowing tales of people who have uh, been inundated by uh, the culture that this cult kind of emanates in this isolated society. And then a news story was sent to me, and I, I started to feel like if... If the principle, if the overriding principle is that a religion uh, can use faith as a weapon, then it doesn't really matter what denomination or what religion it is that we're trying to expose that may be abusive towards people. And the two guests that I have today uh, are part of, I believe, a class action lawsuit against a, 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 an institution that used to be called the Saskatoon Christian Center Academy. I believe they're now known as the Legacy Christian Academy. And when I heard their stories, I was just, you know, you can't really shock me anymore, but um, it is very interesting that uh, the, this school, uh, who is clearly, the, which is clearly a, relig a religious school, um, you know, received public dollars from the province of Saskatchewan. They had corporal punishment long past when corporal punishment was deemed legal in this country, which, by the way, probably should have been 1950, but I think it was 2004. Um, but to hear here today to talk about their stories are Caitlin Erickson and Christina Hutchinson. Caitlin, Christina, how are you? Good, thank you. Good. Um, the okay, first of all, are you guys part of that class action lawsuit? Yes. So I, there's two named uh, plaintiffs, myself and Coy Nolan, and then everyone else who has joined the lawsuit is under us as at all in the lawsuit. Um, yes, I am. And Christina has also joined the lawsuit. Okay. Yep. And that person you mentioned is the, is that the gentleman who uh, was basically, they tried to pray the gay away and they made fun of him and mocked him and all that kind of stuff. And and there was one thing that, that that I took from from the CBC clip that I that I tried playing earlier. Um, does your did, did the school that you go to they speak in tongues in that one? Yes. Yes. Okay. 
can you guys give us an example of what it's like to watch someone speak in tongues? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. I would I, need I, a significant I, amount of tequila at this point to do that I, for you. I believe your significant other is off camera. Perhaps he can pour you a glass because that, I think... You already right. did. Okay. <laughs> he made me a margarita. Okay, good. I will not be doing that. Okay, okay no problem. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm glad we were able to get a little bit of levity in, in, in a situation like this, but let's let's talk about it a little bit. Um, Caitlin, I'll start with you because uh, you're the person that I first contacted. And and when I heard about your story, I, I was I had to like do a triple take. I started looking at other articles just to like reference what it is that I was watching. It was it, part of the um, thing that stuck out the most to me was almost like this ritualistic paddling. Can you explain what what can you can you start wherever you want? But when you get there, I, I really want to dig in on that because I find that to be almost slapstick in in how absurd it seems that that someone would do that in the 21st century. So they had a manual that it was called the tri child training uh, manual. And anyone who wanted to be a member of the church and you had children, you had to take this training, essentially. Um, and yeah, in the manual, it says this is a, you know, it should be a ritual. It's, you know, gave exact directions of how to do it. And it also said in the manual, this is exactly how we punish our students in the school as well. Um, it was very ritual, ritualistic. Um, it was, you know, initially when the parents were kind of told about it, um, you know, they were told it was like a last resort. Um, and it definitely was not used as a last resort. It was, you yeah. know, the when they were disciplining kids in the school, it was used quite a bit. Um, just to backtrack on one thing you said, just about using corporal punishment after it became illegal, even when it was legal in Canada, um, each province had its own guidelines on what had to be done if you were going to use corporal punishment. And those guidelines usually were found under, um, you know, social services, their child abuse protocol. So even though it, corporate punishment was legal till 2004, there were very strict guidelines and the school did not follow those guidelines. So even things that happened prior to 2004 were still very much criminal. Right. Um, Christina, um, that would be where your story sort of uh, takes place, right? That that was the one of your main allegations, is it not? The paddling? Um, yeah, the the volleyball team. Um, I guess because uh, like there was, I was paddled many many times, but that one I think stood out to me the most as being so absurd because I was in grade twelve. I was almost an adult at the time, so um, yeah, that was one of the kind of the main stories that I told when we first started talking about this. Um, I, I, I want to word this carefully because I, I don't mean it in, in any way other than a serious way. But when I think of, uh, especially a grown man, um, taking a grade 12 and paddling them, I'm not really thinking corporal punishment alone. I'm thinking that there's something else going on with that person because how can they not at least think of the context of it being predatorial and sexual? And I was just wondering if that was a commonality between the people that were victimized by this institution like that. And I guess I'll, I'll keep it with you, Christina. Um, 
You know, that's a good question. And it's something that um, other people have raised as, um, you know, it's kind of, a, I guess, something that you think about when you hear about that whole situation. It's like, how could it not be part of the conversation? Um, you know, it's difficult because for us as girls in that situation, um, there was no overt sexual abuse. But like you were saying, um, it, it can, it seems like it could be perceived that way um, from onlookers. Yeah. And, um, and you're definitely not the only um, objective person to bring that up. So I think it's definitely, definitely an interesting perspective. Did it happen in a closed room, just the paddler and the victim, or was it in front of people? Um, it was in a closed room, but they had a witness there. So for my particular situation, they had the principal of the school and he was male. So they had a male witness with me. And then the man who paddled me obviously was a man. So two men. Wow. But they had this, the other girls lined up basically outside the door so we could hear everything. So yeah. we were all like lined up. So it was like a psychological like thing where you're listening to your teammates getting beat and you're standing in line waiting for your turn and everyone's like either crying or wanting to puke. Like the whole thing was sadistic. And I mean, I'll say it, I, as an adult, looking back at the situation, I 100% believe that that man like it was sexual for him because there's no other explanation than being completely sadistic um for someone to do that was it always the same individual man that did this in my high school years it was the same individual really mm -hmm. but and and christina um, I guess it depends on when you're talking because um, paddling by the principal was done from kindergarten and then in, up to grade 12. So um, it was different people depending on who was in authority at the time. Okay. Um, Caitlin, in, in that clip that I played, um, you described the institution as, uh, as a cult. Mm -hmm. Um. Aside from the abuse allegations, can you give me a sort of idea of what the environment was like just in general and when why it was cult-like? For sure. Um, there just was no differentiating between the church and school. Um, you know, you were with the same people at church, you were with the same people at school. You were told, you know, you're not allowed to hang out with people outside the church and school. Uh, if they found out that you did that, there would be consequences for that. Your whole life revolved around this place. Um, anyone who spoke out was, you know, it was like, oh, they're in rebellion or it, they're having personal problems. You know, they'd use all sorts of verbiage. Um, anyone who left was ostracized. It didn't matter if they, you know, if an individual left and their family was still in the church, they would, you know, the pastor would say, you cannot hang out with those people um, once they've left the church. So, um, I mean, it had all the markings of a textbook cult. There was financial abuse, psychological abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Like there was all the things. Did the people that uh, were a part of that church, did they all kind of live in, in like a certain enclave inside like a certain community or anything like that? I'm just wondering because when, when the Plymouth Brethren people are excommunicated, they never see their families again, you know? 
Yeah, we weren't on a commune, but we were uh, <laughs> on the north end of Saskatoon. So majority That's of kind of a commune, there. Caitlin. That's a, <laughs> kind of a sort of a commune. Most of the uh, people in the church did live on the north end. And there was a period of time where like some lived 10 minutes outside in Warman. So right. yeah, initially it was, yeah, it was kind of a thing. We all lived on the north end. <laughs> um, This is for either one of you. I guess, Christina, um, I'll start with you. Did your parents know at the time what was happening? And if so, what was their reaction? Um, no, my parents did not know at the time, um, that that was happening at the school. Um, so it was quite a shock when they did find out about it, um, which kind of speaks to the control that they wanted to have over our lives. Um, I remember even, you know, growing up there feeling confused about whether my parents were trustworthy because, um, oftentimes they would tell me that my parents weren't godly enough. Um, so then you're kind of caught between, um, you know, who's right here? Is it the church and school or is it my parents? Um, so yeah, they, they had no idea about that. That is like so alarming to me. Um, and it, it, it speaks to that, that weaponization of faith that I was talking about. Like there, there's no way a secular high school could paddle a kid without it being on the news or without it leaking without like it takes that Jesus fear um, to, to sort of build a firewall, doesn't it? Between um, what's happening inside an institution like that and what the public knows. Yeah, it was a form of grooming though, because at base, you know, especially in the high school years for myself, I, you know, I can speak to, it was to the point where they had almost taken away the power from my mom to make decisions for me. There was times when my mom spoke up and said like, you know, for example, in my grade 12 year, I said, I'm not playing volleyball because the incident, you know, Christina spoke about happened. She was in grade 12. I was in grade 11. And so my grade 12 year, I was like, yeah, absolutely not. Am I signing up for more of that? So my mom said, no, she's not playing. And the director of the school call, you know, we had a meeting and it was like, you are going to play and then basically, you know, it was like, oh, you're letting your teammates down. You're letting all these people you went to school with down. And then there was like a couple more discussions. And then it was just like, you're playing volleyball. And, you know, there, after my mom had said no, then the director hauled me in. It was before we had this thing called fall camp. And it was the week before school started. So if you played on the volleyball team, you had like a week of, you know, volleyball practices, essentially. And then the girls that didn't play volleyball, they would do like orienteering or something. So I signed myself up for orienteering and yeah. they, the director was like, no, and pulled me into the office. And like he said to me, if you don't play volleyball this year, I will withhold your credits. And I thought I was the only person that he had threatened that to because like you have to understand the dynamic too. So they've taken away power from the parents. They've taken away power from us as students and individuals to speak up for ourselves and they you know by the time we're in high school we're so conditioned to not speak up and there was also very strict rules around speaking negatively about the school and church so some of us were having experiences that we didn't know about the unfortunate thing for them is that they did a lot of things in groups. So this, you know, the volleyball incident that happened, there was also a basketball incident that happened a few years later. There was also, um, you know, an incident a few years later where students were cheating, which they weren't cheating. Um, 
and they lined up a whole whackload of students and did the same thing. So they did a lot of things in groups. So there's multiple witnesses to those things. So and it was a co it's a co-ed high school, right? Yes. Okay. So these groups are often very chauvinistic. I'm wondering if that kind of punishment was leveled against girls more than boys. Or if you even know, you know, I think the expectation was different for girls versus boys. Mm-hmm. Um, like there was this, like you're expected to be this like prim proper, you know, if you do something to make, you know, a boy look at you inappropriately or act inappropriately, that's on you. It wasn't, you know, the boy's fault. Um, there was, there was for sure there was things, you know, it was very, just even the male teachers, how they would um, speak to us female students was very chauvinistic. Yeah. There was definitely a huge power imbalance. Christina? I, I remember um, one time me and another girl um, asking the coach about a particular uh, rule that they had made. Um, so when the basketball team, which is just male, like there was no female basketball team, um, when they would have game days, they got to wear, um, they got to choose whatever they wanted to wear for that day within like the dress code. Um, but they didn't have to wear the school uniforms. Whereas the girls weren't allowed to do that. They had to wear the uniforms every single day, no matter what, even if they had a game day. And I remember asking him and saying like, this is a very clear, um, you know, it, it's obviously not an equal standard here. And why is that? And his explanation was that, well, women look different when they're wearing certain skirts and when they're wearing certain dresses and when their legs look a certain way, it's different than when they're wearing a, um, the volleyball uniform, etc. Um, and that I just remember that sticking out to me as being so distinctly like unequal. Well, and it's because they didn't want to police the girls' clothing. Well, translation, um, we don't trust that men won't be assholes if you guys wear s- skimpy clothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not even about yeah. you. Like that, that, you know, and that's, that's a common thread in almost every extremist religion, right? Like that's, that's just one of those things. Um, I went to Catholic school. Only a perverted man could come up with that with knee highs and a kilt. Like I, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like if you want people to be modest and you want people to be non-sexual, put them in pants or a really long skirt of some sort that go to the ankles. But you know, so there's like this weird, and I always thought that was weird. Um, can we talk about the lawsuit at all? Or are lawyers already telling you don't fucking talk about the lawsuit in public? Like, uh, depends what you want to talk about. How about you tell me what you can tell me about it? Because I, I just want to know. Um, I know it's $25 million. I know that you've gotten some press lately. Um, I hope mm-hmm. that uh, I hope that there's justice at the end of this. I know often there isn't. Um, but uh, can you can you tell me what you can? Um, I can tell you just a little because some people had some questions why, you know, why do a class action? Um, Because there's a lot of there was a lot of psychological and emotional abuse. And that is, you know, the statute of limitations in Saskatchewan is if it's something physical on, you know, trespass to a body and it's on a minor and especially by, you know, it also there's a um, section for someone in a place of authority doing those things. Um, the statute of limitations, um, there is none in Saskatchewan. So for emotional and physical abuse, uh, or sorry, emotional and psychological abuse, it's just really hard to prove. So that's why there's, you know, the class action as well, because there was a lot of 
unqualified <laughs> counseling going on mm -hmm. and dangerous counseling going on by a lot of um, people in authority um, over students. So that, yeah. you know, and, and I can tell you that there is over 70 people that have reached out to the law firm to either get intakes or say that they are, you know, going to be completing intakes. So um, we've lost Christina who, uh, for a second, who's at her son's uh, football practice. And um, now I don't want to make this a religious discussion, but Caitlin, it probably is a miracle that with your eight children, you haven't been interrupted once since we've been on air. So congratulations. Oh, because I'm not at home. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, this woman is a miracle worker. Oh my God. Like they're all I'm sitting there nice and quiet. Um, the... Okay. The, the whole religious aspect of this, um, is, is what I find obviously the most, uh, both interesting and tragic and infuriating. Mm -hmm. And, um, I asked you this on the phone, but I thought it was interesting. And I just want to know if, if it's, um, what was your faith like when you were at the school compared to whatever your faith or beliefs are now? There's no wrong answer. I just want to know if the incidents that, that happened at the school played a role in shaping what your beliefs happen to be now. You know, I really started to question things when my family moved away briefly because we had moved to Kelowna, BC for about a year. And when I was there, I mean, like prior to me going, I mean, I believed everything these people were saying to be true. I was trying, you know, to be the perfect little Christian and, you know, doing all the things, you know, to the best of my ability that they were asking me to do. When I moved away, I attended a private Christian school and a different church, but it was nothing like the one I, you know, had grown up in. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, they used public school education. The teachers were all actually accredited teachers. You know, it was a good experience. The principal was not somebody that we feared, whereas at, you know, my school, the principal and the director were always people that everyone was terrified of. And they, they like loved that fear, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, totally different experience when I lived in BC. And um, even in the church, like it was really hard to, you know, people would just, they were so nice and it was just hard to believe. Um, and, and I've maintained, you know, a couple, you know, friendships still from there, but we moved back, you know, about a, less than a year later. And it was at that point that I was like, okay, hey, like this is not normal, you know, after, yeah. after being out of it. And there was a lot of things that just didn't add up. Um, yeah. And just how the teachers treated the students um, after being in a quote unquote normal environment, even though it was mm -hmm. a private Christian school, they still, you know, like I said, normal teachers, you know, certified teachers, normal public school curriculum uh, coming back into an ACE private school. Um, it just, I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is not normal. You know, the teachers were awful to be honest, like yeah. 99%. I have, you know, yeah. one or two that were, decent human beings, the rest, it was just, you know, and, and as a mother too, and you know, my kids are in school and I think back to like how I was treated. And if somebody did that to my kid, like, yeah, no, exactly. Welcome, out me welcome back, Christina. Sorry. My uh, phone was overheating. Oh, that's okay. Um, Combo. I wanted to know also then about the public funding. Cause I, I, I am always, Listen, I I know I know that we are in Canada, um, and one of the most long-standing pieces of political political hypocrisy that I can think of 
is being a secular country and funding Catholic schools. And that was always something for me that was like, you know, when elections would happen right after 9-11 and, um, you know, a Muslim group would, you know, understandably be questioning why their schools can't be funded if Catholic schools are funded. And I was always just like, don't fund any of them, right? But what is it with the province of Saskatchewan? I'm sure that the, it exists. I haven't really done a lot of research on, on from province to province on who funds uh, Christian schools. But I would like to know what if you can explain, if either one of you um, has sort of a grasp on why the provincial government started like 10 years ago funding Christian schools like this one. Either one of you. Does anyone know? <laughs> <laughs> I think because we live in a very conservative province, I think is the biggest yeah. reason. And it appealed to the voter base at the time. Mm -hmm. um, we have this group called like qualified QIS schools, qualified independent schools. And, you know, there's different types of schools um, that meet those requirements. And these private Christian schools, some of them surprisingly do, which makes no sense based on the curriculum. But Prior to that, I mean, when my mom enrolled me in the school, she thought that she was enrolling me in an accredited school. And it wasn't till the 2000s that they actually became accredited. My mom had no idea. So she's paying tuition out the ass <laughs> and has no, and like was never told, oh, by the way, if your daughter graduates, she's not going to have a grade 12. <laughs> yeah. What would happen when you tried to get into college? Like, well, like you wouldn't. If they, what would happen prior was people had to go write departmentals. Is that like your GED basically? Christina, or whatever? Can you speak to that? Cause one of your older siblings, did he get his stuff or? Um, I don't know. Like I, I think Nick got his grade 12, but I've actually never had that convo with him, but I've talked to some of his um, peers and um, a lot of them ended up doing summer school classes and going to CCA. So they would take their summer school classes at SIAST and then still do their like paces because they knew that they wouldn't be graduating otherwise um, or be able to have any university prep. So, yeah. What, did they get accreditation? I'm just trying to see if there's dots that. Yeah, they did. In the early 2000s, they did. Like I graduated in 2005. Uh -huh. And by that time, they did have accreditation. But I did attend summer school because the curriculum is self-taught, not teacher-taught. So you're not having a teacher stand up at the front teaching you these concepts. You're reading them in a book and you're teaching yourself. So for someone like myself, who has ADHD, I could not teach yeah. myself math oh. concepts. <laughs> and then I have ADHD too, so yeah. <laughs> trying to get, trying to, so does Christina. Oh, <laughs> wow. This conversation is going to last forever. I know you guys only have another 10 minutes or so, but still. <laughs> um, so yeah. So uh, trying to teach yourself, like it's just anyone who's neurodivergent, like you can't teach yourself certain, you know, um, certain Do I, subjects and stuff would you would you ask yourself if you could go to the bathroom because i would just be doing that constantly in every class <laughs> no <laughs> just, we had to get permission for that okay but you can yeah, teach was, yourself you can teach yourself the building blocks of knowledge but you can't go pee without asking permission that's amazing yeah exactly. <laughs> oh the irony <laughs> yeah um okay so what has the reaction been like since this story broke because i it was national news uh and you know i saw it here in ontario um, you know, if you, if you search either one of your names, there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes up. 
Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Um, how has, uh, has life changed at all? Or is, is it starting to die down? Is it starting to pick up? G- give me an, a sense of what's, uh, you know, what's happened since all this broke. Christina, go ahead. Um, I think for me on a personal level, I feel so happy to finally just have that info out there. Um, I feel like I spent so many of the years after I left, like I was carrying this big secret that, um, you know, that we weren't allowed to talk about for so long. And so for me, it's just such a relief to have it out there. Um, I've had lots of students reach out to me um, from Christian Center from many different years, talking about their own stories, asking how they can get involved. Um, I've had people, even just when I, people that I met years ago, um, reach out to me and show their support. Um, so that's been wonderful. Um, a lot of media which has been interesting. (laughs) I've never really had this much involvement in media before. So um, yeah, it's, it's, I'd say it's predominantly been, been good, the response. Um, And it's only just going to keep going from here. So that's the exciting part. Um, I'd just like to point out that um, normally you're dealing with a very stiff lipped reporter asking you very concise questions and looking for really concise answers. I'm a former drug addict with ADHD, so I hope you're having a better time having a conversation here than you might be on CTV. Just just want to throw that out there. Um, now, you know, it's just the way. Look, these types of conversations, this is new for me. And this is like uh, in the last few months where I feel like talking about this subject on on a regular half hour news show where you have like a three minute segment. It doesn't do it enough justice. Like it needs to be actually talked about. And even this yeah. isn't going to do it enough justice, right? Like I'll admit that. Yeah. Conversations, like conversations between not only yourselves, but former teachers, maybe not ones in the lawsuit, but people maybe that didn't get named in the lawsuit, but worked there at the time. And maybe you want to have a conversation with them with like, what the fuck were you thinking? Like, you know, like why yeah. is, why was this acceptable? Um, I know they like to hide behind Jesus's robe, but you know, is <laughs> has there been any public outcry since the story broke about this type of funding? Has that conversation happened in the province of Saskatchewan? Because I used to live in Weyburn, and I'm not proud of it. And, I, and, and, <laughs> and 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 there were more churches there than there were people, and I found it a very strange experience. But has there been a sort of like lifting of the veil, and maybe some people are like, you know what, maybe I don't like that, you know, type of system too much. There was actually a couple months before we decided to come public um, because there was um, another QIS school in Saskatoon um, called Westgate Heights, and they had some pretty gross practices and policies posted online. So that discussion had kind of started. And, you know, we thought 
couple things while we were not, as the police are investigating, I mean, we're well over for myself. I'm well over like 450 days since I've gone to police and a whole school year has gone by. So one thing as a group we said is we're not letting another school year go by without this being public because people need to know where they're sending their kids because there's three schools that were involved um, with this just because they had people that were at Christian Center that went and opened other schools. So, you know, I have to say the media actually has been really great. Um, The media has been fantastic. They've been very sensitive. Um, You know, they've asked really great questions. They put out some really good articles. And, you know, it does, obviously, there is a bigger discussion that needs to be had about funding these schools in Saskatchewan. Um, But right now, I mean, we need to deal with the immediate, which is looking at these schools that do have students currently. And are they in a safe environment? Um, Are they in an environment where they're going to thrive? And, you know, so they have administrators right now. (laughs) And we'll see, you know, one shut down and two have administrators. So I take shots at the media just as a hobby, but I'm actually really pleased that that you have had a good experience with them. Like, it doesn't actually surprise me because this is the type of subject where if you're a reporter worth your salt, you are going to be sensitive. You are going to be, you know, the right kind of media person. Um, Caitlin, with, with it, it wasn't just paddling though with you, was it? No, I mean, there was um, some sexual abuse that had went on um, when I was younger. And I think really because of the lack of education there around sex and around our bodies, I mean, there was no education. It was, you know, the purpose of having sex, you know, you get married, then you have sex. And the purpose of sex is to please your husband and to procreate. So that's essentially what was taught. Um, But yeah, there was a prolific pedophile in the church. um, And, you know, it was brought to the pastor's attention several different times. And they did nothing. They just continued to cover it up. They sent the guy away for a bit and he came back and offended some more. And then they sent him away again. And, you know, I, when I was in high school, um, it really came to a head because the guy had shown up again after being gone. And so it had triggered some people and I spoke out about it because I was concerned about one of my friends and yeah, it did not go very well for me doing that. And I was told if I speak on it, I'm getting kicked out of the school. So um, there's, you know, there's a lot of adults that have had the opportunity. They've had several opportunities to do the right thing. And the only real backlash we've gotten, um, which isn't very much, there's no one that's really come out right and say, said, you know, what they're saying isn't true. Even to the reporters, you know, the reporters say, you know, we'll, we always get emails from articles and people aren't saying it isn't true. They're just saying like, why bring it up now? <laughs> you know, yeah. people from the church or people that are involved. So nobody's really denying it. And I don't know if you saw the one article, the pastor's stepson, who was the youth pastor, and he also worked in the school at one point, both him and his wife. Um, he went on CBC and he said, 100% of what they're saying is true. We did that. That happened. Wow. Yeah. It reminds me of the Catholic um, cover-ups, you know, Mm -hmm. in in, in the sense that the only people, you know, I always was, I was always confused. I was raised Catholic, you know, like I I was raised Catholic in a sense that like, it wasn't a strict opens die Catholic existence, but, you know, confirmed first communion confession, 
of which I have a famous story of how I used to lie in confession. And then the next time in confession, I used to confess that I lied the last time I was in confession. So they didn't, <laughs> after a while, they were like, James, don't bother going to confession. Um, but, you know, but, but, but the, sex, the, the sex abuse scandal stuff that happened, especially the stuff in Ireland and the stuff in Boston and, and, mm -hmm. and places like that was always so, like, I, even as a kid, I was always just like, because I was like 12, 13 or something when the Boston stuff happened. And I remember reading about it or my sister telling me about it or something. And, and I was just like, well, we don't have to go to church anymore, right? And it wasn't a joke. It was like, why would we go to a place that is an institution that that not only like covered up and transferred pedophiles so that they could do more things to kids, but actually had an internal document written, as we found out years later, by Pope Benedict when he was still a cardinal that authorized dioceses to, to send pedophiles to other dioceses. And I was always confused as to why anyone would ever put anything in the collection plate or even walk through their doors anymore. Um, so hearing you tell me that a pastor's son went on CBC and was like, yeah, all of this is true. I mean, as far as silver linings go, it ain't great, but it's still something. For sure. You know? And, you know, there, there's been, you know, when people saying, why now? I think a lot of us are parents you know, and becoming a parent really triggered a lot of us to be like, wow, like these people really went way out in left field. And at no point did any of these adults around us dial it in and be like, hey, we've gone too far. And a lot of, you know, some of them are currently double, you know, doubling down on their actions, which is fine. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's still baffling to me as a parent. Um, yeah just seeing, you know, it's like as an, now as an adult, it's like you've, you had so many opportunities to do the right thing. And even after high school, there was two individuals that I, that had reached out to me that were people that were definitely participants and enabled things to happen to me at the school. And they had reached out to me for various reasons. One was to sell an MLM product. <laughs> And, um, you know, I kind of entertained it because I was like, I want to see if she apologizes to me. I want to see if she actually is sorry for all she, the harm she caused. Wow. Yeah. And no, she instead told me I was fat and tried to sell me weight loss supplements. So, I mean, some of these people are just so far gone that yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I had sorry, the same experience. <laughs> Christina had, had the same experience with the same person. <laughs> Are you yeah. serious, Christina? Wow. Oh yeah, she she like messaged me like this lady who hadn't been in touch since I so, left. Can, can I ask she what her? Because I'm surprised that she was a woman first. So sorry to cut you off, but like, what was she? Was she a student? Was she a teacher? What was she? She was our coach. Um, our coach. Yeah. Okay. At one point, she was one of the coaches we had. We had a few okay. different ones. Yeah. So what, what to of, yeah. What, I, <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, please. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, it was it was quite the you know slap in the face. You get this message, and it's about being you, you know her thinking that I'm fat and that I need her MLM products. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like wow. totally still out of touch with reality, and yeah. you know her family also like her family's posted some stuff on social media, you know, being like, oh, you know. I'll pray for the people that are coming forward because they're clearly lost. The people that are speaking out positively about the abuse 
are the people that really need to take a step back and think, did I benefit from people being abused? Because some of these families and individuals and students, they did. They benefited from certain students being targeted and certain students yep. being abused. How and so those are the How ones just... you're going to see online right now saying stuff yeah. about us as a student group. How did they benefit from the abuse? I'm just I'm just trying to understand that. Because certain children or like teenagers were put on a pedestal and it was like, this is what, you know, perfect godly character looks like. Or they would throw uh, kids under the bus and get them right. in trouble so that they were, you know, got special treatment or whatever it may be was, you know, favored. Those are the parents, some of them that had employment and were given, you know, special treatment in the church and school, things like that. So, you know... It, the P, there's, I mean, there's not a whole lot of them that are doing that right now, but the ones that are, are the ones that benefited from this whole system. Mm -hmm. um, I know you guys have to go soon. Um, I just want uh, a few more minutes if you have it. I want to also, uh, first of all, Caitlin, um, you mentioned yeah. before that you paid a price for speaking out in high school, but I just want to give you props for speaking out. I mean, this is, it's one of those things where it's like, I know there's no wrong way to be a victim, but I'm also very attuned to the fact that if someone does have the courage to stand up and speak out, even if they get blowback from that, it does have a resonating effect that may have saved lives even like, you know what I mean? Like there is, it's, it's, it's an existential kind of idea of that saving lives thing, but you know, there's people that are driven to suicide. There's people that are, you know, are driven to drugs and OD and all that kind of stuff. And then they see someone, they witness someone that has gone through what they've gone through, stand up and say something and then watch them maybe even pay a price for it. But they that idea of courage remains in their mind. And I think that you should, um, you know, hold your head up high for that. And I'm sorry that you went through the blowback. I mean, I think at this point, there's really nothing that these people can do to me that they already haven't done. And that's yeah. that's where I'm kind of at. And it's like you 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 tried to psychologically break me. You tried to physically break me. Um, you didn't win. So whatever slander and whatever you want to say now, go ahead. You know, one of my former teachers who's still employed at the school has been telling everybody how I'm not a credible person and how I am not, you know, I shouldn't be leading the charge on this. And you know what I say to her is <laughs> you have been at the school for so long and you've witnessed so much and you've kept your mouth shut. And because yeah. of that, children have been abused because of yeah. that. Yeah, so, she's a villain. She's a villain. She is a villain. She yeah. is a villain. <laughs> Straight up. So, you know what? Yeah. And and myself, I mean, I can speak to myself. I was super suicidal. Like in my grade 12 year, I was very suicidal. I was self-harming. I was suicidal. Yeah. And I don't want that experience for anybody else. And that is the biggest part in this is, yeah, you know what? 10 years ago, I didn't have this type of strength to you know, I've always been somebody that's spoken out, but I didn't have this degree of strength to speak out. And now I do. So this is the time we've chosen to come forward. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> is there anything either of you? Oh, you know what? Maybe I can say this because I've been doing this um, with the Plymouth Brethren Christian uh, Church ex-members about mm -hmm. um and and it's 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 because uh, this is a new I don't want to call it a beat because it's really important, but it's a new topic for me to cover like this. I mean, I've been doing freelance journalism for 20 years and I, and I really have never done stories like this. I guess you kind of could call them a me too story, but it's also sort of a story about religious extremism, right? And 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 the combination mm -hmm. of two. But usually, what I do now is I get the people from the Plymouth Brethren um, to to 
to give them a couple minutes if they want to say anything to anybody out there that's actually being victimized right now. Um, because I think those sound bites reach people or at least has the potential to reach people. So Christina, if that's okay with you, I, I'd like to start with you. If there is, if, if, the, if there is anything that you would like some sort of message where you take your own experience and, and sort of relay that to others. Um, I think, you know, I, I, the part of the reason why I decided to speak out and join this was because I was tired of being silenced um, and feeling like the things that were done to me were this big secret when really they shouldn't be a big secret. And I think for anyone who who feels like they are being abused or who knows they are being abused um, and feels trapped, I think they should know that their voice matters, um, that they can talk about what's happening to them, that there's people um, around who can help. Um, the police have been amazing throughout this whole process in terms of taking our statements. Um, a lot of us were afraid that our stories weren't, um, weren't bad enough, so to speak, but the police reassured us and were great. Um, the media has been great. There's people out there um, that can help. So I guess that's yeah. kind of what I would say. I think that's, <clears throat> that's basically a perfect statement. And, and I think you're right. And, and um one of the important things that stuck out with what you just said is that if, if people don't think it's bad enough, but the um, the overarching of this is that it, it's an institution, it's, it's an institutionalized cultural systemic problem. It's not necessarily like the, the specific thing that happened to you or happened to Caitlin or happened to somebody else. But the fact that it is an accepted religious cultural you know, thing that's happening at not just at that school, but at several other schools is, is pretty alarming to me. Um, Caitlin, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I just want to add on to that. That's, you know, when you talk about a systemic problem, that's what's being echoed by students that were there more recently is that even though they're not doing corporal punishment now, the emotional and psychological factors are still very much there. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, when students are reaching out to me, that's what they're expressing. Um, I guess I would, you know, if I was going to say anything to anybody, you know, don't suffer in silence. You're not alone. So many of us were suffering in silence, you know, thinking that it was like, yeah, like Christina said, we're hiding this big secret for what, yeah. you know, um, there are people, you know, out there that will be there to support you if you decide to come forward. Um, you know, we've been a support to so many people. I've spent so many hours just having coffee with people, long phone, you know, hours and hours of phone calls, mm -hmm. um, just hearing people's stories and hearing their experiences. And, you know, even the psychological and emotional abuse is so huge and it's so damaging. And, you know, that just because, you know, if you didn't experience physical abuse, your, you know, psychological and emotional abuse is still very, very valid and can be very, very damaging. So, oh, absolutely. you know, definitely, you know, people who are feeling, I know, you know, there's people that have reached out to me and said, like, I don't think I should come forward because, you know, I didn't have it as bad as, you know, some of you guys did. It's not, you know, we're not putting abuse on a scale. Abuse is abuse, period. So if yeah. it happened to you, you know, and you want to come forward, please come forward. If you need support and you don't know how to access support, you know, please come forward and, you know, talk to somebody or, you know, reach up to us. <laughs> yeah. Help direct um, you. I think both of you are really brave. I think both of you are 
<clears throat> you you kind of make me feel like um happier for my daughter and and i'll explain that my daughter is six years old and all i do is worry about her um you know like i don't i don't you know i'm not a helicopter father but like i i like to joke that i'm half italian but when my daughter was born i became seven thousand percent italian <laughs> right because <laughs> i just worry so much about her. but i'm i i like to see examples like you two um because it makes me it's it's like you're imprinting onto me the kind of like courage i want to give my daughter and and I think that you guys um, speaking out like this, I think is super important. <clears throat> and um, and I think you're impacting a lot of people. And I've seen it. And and I've had people when I announced that you guys were coming on the show, I, I got I got a bunch of emails from people saying, "Oh my God, like you know, this, this is a story that needs to be told." And um, I thank you for your time. You know, like I mean, this is a, this is a super. This is a this is like a societal. Um, I would call it a societal disease, like a virus that we have not even begun to tackle yet. You know, that the religious, ro the role that religion has in abusing children. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why it is basically tacitly accepted. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, and, and I don't want to stop fighting against it. And I'm glad that you guys are, are part of that team. And um, by the way, uh, Caitlin, if you have another child, you have a full baseball team. Like you're, you're dead. <laughs> um, but I thank you guys so much. Will you guys come back? Because I know that this story is not far from over. So for I think sure. uh, I would love to have yeah, you Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for putting a spotlight on it too. We appreciate it. No, that. no problem. And while I respect the reporters that talk to you, ain't no way they gave you 48 minutes on uh, Global. I'm just, I'm just saying that. <laughs> thank you very much, Caitlin oh, Erickson oh, and Caitlin. Oh, oh. <laughs> Kaylin Erickson and Christina Hutchinson. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. Um, that was, um, well, for me lately, par for the course in a sense. But, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's true. There is, a, there is a dirty little secret in, uh, in Western society, and that is how Christianity has fostered uh, a factory that spreads centuries where young children are abused at will and uh there is a uh you know uh, there's no explanation that i can think of that that you know can explain why this is happening <clears throat> except maybe you know maybe all adults before 1950 were all pedophiles and it just never went away like what what is the reason that an adult can sit there and watch a 17 year old girl uh be struck on her backside with a paddle and think to themselves it's totally normal i'll never understand that um and i just want to give uh, i just want to take a moment here um again thank you caitlin and christina um i want to talk about something else just for a moment because if you guys watch the dean blundell show today i watched uh bits and pieces and i still was able to watch 90 minutes because it was a 17 hour podcast um I want to give uh, a shout out to not just Dean Blundell, um, but to Tom Marazzo as well. And the reason why is this. When I embarked on um, on this show, one of the overriding ideas that I wanted to sort of uh, execute was the idea of talking to your political opposites. Um, blackballed is called blackballed because I, uh, for a bunch of reasons, but one of them is that I was blackballed from being able to work in media. 
uh one of them one of the other reasons is because uh you know the media often blackballs us from learning about things that are actually beneficial to society or things that are in the public interest and another thing is that um i've always hated this idea um if you ever are around someone who uses the phrase oh why would that person give that other person a platform Maybe talk to that person and let them know that before 2010, it wasn't looked at like that. It wasn't called that. It was called interviewing someone or conversing with someone. And the example I always like to use is that uh, a few years after 9-11, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, thank you very much, um, the former president of Iran, was interviewed at Columbia University. And Columbia University um, uh, hosted this this sort of like, I think it was like an interview. I, th I think there was an interview happening, but it might have been a couple of people on a panel or something. But either way, nobody was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that they're actually listening to the ideas from this tyrant. Because people understood back then that if you want to learn what the other side is thinking, you don't look at the memes they post. Um, you don't, you know, look at the bumper stickers or the flags they wave. You sit down in a room with them and you talk it out. And you may not come out of that room respecting each other or liking the ideas that each other had explained to you guys. But, you know, the, 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 the fostering an evolution of how we treat each other and how we live in this world is dependent, utterly dependent on talking to each other. And I thought that the show today, um, if I were to do a show like that, like I barely look at the chat and it's not because I'm ignoring you guys. It's just, I'm too distracted. You know, I'm, I'm an ADHD guy. Like I, I just can't do it. Um, the chat was a little bit annoying and I, I, I think I was guilty of even making bad jokes. I think I said, uh, <laughs> at one point that Tom Marazzo's poor name should be spike protein because he believes in crazy uh, vaccine stuff. Um, but I was probably wrong for doing that because, you know, well, maybe not because it's not really part of the show, but the show itself, I think was super important. So big shout out to Dean Blundell for doing that. Big shout out to Tom Morasco for doing that. I think we need more of that. Um, and that's why when I have Max Bernier on, I mock the people that tell me I shouldn't have Max Bernier on. And that's why uh, when I had, um, when I had, uh, uh, randy hillier's daughter what's her name chelsea hillier on uh and i got all that hate mail it just made me more cemented and having and having her on i think that um that that you know the example that was shown on that show today even if they didn't solve anything uh is a lot more palatable to me than um calling each other fucktards or idiots on twitter and I just want to say uh, that I think we need more of that. So well done, Dean. Uh, and well done, Tom. And I will see you tomorrow when Karima Saad is here, one of my favorite people all time. I'm currently knitting a cape for her. I'm not, I'm not knitting her a cape. Um, but I would like to. If I knew how to knit, I would totally knit that woman a cape. And then because she's so humble, she wouldn't wear it unless she was a guest superstar at a wwe event and then she'd wear the fuck out of it um but cream is tomorrow and then on friday uh rob kaviklian uh 
criminal defense lawyer extraordinaire will be on the show. We are going to continue heinous cases and do a deep dive into the Paul Bernardo case. And what we're going to do is actually um, we're going to start from beginning. I don't know if you guys remember this, but when he was the Scarborough rapist uh, before he had killed anyone, um, the cops questioned him. They had him. They had this future serial killer and they weren't able to keep him. So we're going to talk about um, the early years of the Paul Bernardo stuff. So um, I thank you all for joining me and we'll see you next time on Black Ball. the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This is before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.